Kia ora, I'm Jen. And I'm Sophie. Welcome to A TARDIS of One's Own. A queer feminist journey through time and space and new who. Well, how are we this week? Oh, <laughs> overall fine. Acutely, today was a bit of a oh, today was struggle. Today was such a struggle. We had to go get random cake, yeah. which I recommend if you're struggling at any time of your day. Just go get cake. You don't need an excuse for cake. No, cake even though good. today it was specifically emotional support cake. It was of two varieties. I have options. Yeah, no, I'm good, thank you, mate. Um, just yes, I'm just day in the office today rather than working from home, and so that comes with. Annoyingly, inevitable exposure to annoying office men. <laughs> a plenty. And today, yeah, just being exposed to what we've talked about as being just really frustrating. Classic example this morning, like having a team discussion, working on some stuff. I had, you know, some thoughts and opinions shared by others in the team. There's a guy, assumes he knows more, oh. so interrupts, then tries to explain back to me the thing I'm saying implies that I am wrong and confused and attempts to correct me when in fact I knew what I was talking about and understood perfectly well. Conversation then ends. He obviously then self-reflects separately for a couple hours and then comes back and is like, oh yeah, so, so, uh, um, yeah, I did uh, agree with what you were saying. I think, uh, good point. <laughs> yeah, just listen in the moment and don't have your preconceived ideas that you then share. Like, actually, I do think active listening is a concern. There's yeah. literally just <laughs> hearing what you want to hear. Which is what we discuss in our mansplaining episode, right? Like, yeah. often men will mansplain to women because they're not actually picking up what women are putting down. Yeah, literally. Oh. Yeah, so. Yeah. It's fine. Just, it was just like, cool, okay. Make a tea. Shake it off. And, yeah. Happy to be here, though, as always. Tell me about your week. Oh, it's been fine. I just had an incident yesterday. Office Miscellaneous office man. Who was doing something that was inappropriate and I kind of ummed and ah about calling him out because part of me is like, yeah, fuck around and find out. And I would quite like for people to find out sometimes, you know? But then because it would have repercussions for the winder team, I'm like, no, do the do the mature thing and like call it out and step in. And so defensive, so defensive, not very receptive kind of doubled down on it a little bit and then the worst bit for me was just like trying to gaslight me into making it seem like I was overreacting or that I was being too basically the implication was I needed to calm down even though I had not raised my voice I had merely like voiced an opinion that was contrary to what he wanted to hear and then that just made me reflect on what a horrible situation it would be and to be in a relationship with someone like that because like every time you said something it would be implied that you're overreacting and that would cause me to re- overreact. <laughs> like, nothing enrages you more than being told to calm down, right? Especially when you are calm. Like, I was perfectly not in an emotional state at all, but then the the reaction put me into an emotional state. Yeah, absolutely. And then it's either that the worst things anyone can say is calm down or just relax. Yeah. It also just made me reflect how if this is the reaction that you have to any kind of conflict, what a privileged and cushioned life you've had up until your point now because I was just like mate you would not survive a day in my family no well exactly and like the (laughs) example you're talking about which we will keep anonymous obviously but yeah it's very you know professionally important but generally low life stakes like Mm, whatever mm -hmm. but still like you know completely disproportionate reaction to being told like hey you fucked up but so yeah that was infuriating yeah and I arrived to work this morning hearing yeah, the, tr- like, <gasps> the, t- the tales of yore. 
Oh. Annoyance. So yeah, it's been fun. It's been fun. It's put us in a good mood. <laughs> no, as always. Well, literally, Jen came into the office this morning and I was just like, oh, mate, glad it's the podcast because <laughs> I have got thoughts. But yeah, had some cake, had some tea, chilled out in the intervening hours. So yeah, just happy to crack in to today's episode. Yes, please tell us. It is Boomtown. So episode 11 of season one. Mm-hmm. The the end is fast approaching. Mm-hmm. Let's just do a wee summary. Yep. So, uh, stopping off in present-day Cardiff to recharge the TARDIS, the Doctor, Rose and Jack meet up with Mickey and encounter an old foe in the midst of hatching a scheme that could destroy the entire plane. Planet, I think. I misspelt oh. that, but yeah. Oh, I thought maybe plane is in, like, corporeal Ooh, maybe. Okay, sorry. Planet or place. It could be misspelt place. The entire place. Who knows? <laughs> Bechdel test. So, I want to say yes because Margaret and Rose but they barely talk oh so I say yes but for Slitheine woman and the journalist in the toilet oh yeah good point I forgot about the journalist yeah. and she is named isn't she so yeah yeah she is yeah, named. yeah, yeah. so like, definitely she's brief but she's like speaking yeah definitely and, and they're talking about like you know news and career and mm-hmm. you know politics family so yeah yeah exactly so I think that counts yeah no that's a good call definitely okay cool that's an easy win mm. after last week's failure yeah. <laughs> would you like to introduce our theme yeah, so I, I'm just going to say, in general, I find this episode a lot better than the other Slovene episodes. Like, so when I was reminded that there was an, another Slovene episode, I was kind of like, oh God, because we did not enjoy the first two-parter. So again, I think this really pulls it back. I think it's much more interesting, maybe because it's got more of an emotional element. You get to see a bit more of like Margaret's human side, I guess, even though she is an alien. But what I enjoy about this episode is that you also get to get more of a, a an idea of the domesticity of the TARDIS. You get this idea that, that, you know, they're off having other adventures and Jack has all these stories that he's telling and they kind of fold Mickey in, which I think is really nice. But then you have that really awkward, horrible moment with Mickey and Rose where he's just like, you know, you left me and she's really upset that he's seeing someone else. So you've got this whole relationship angle going yeah, on. Yeah, let's 100% unpack that in detail because yeah. I've got thoughts. Yeah. And then also, you know, Jack is overly flirty as well with everyone, but he's particularly flirty in this episode with the Doctor, I think. He's, you know, yeah. why don't you take me out? Why don't you treat me like that? You know, so high, such high maintenance, whatever it is. So I thought, hey, let's talk about bisexuality slash pansexuality. Nice. And I think Jack's official designation is actually omnisexual because the idea is that he's also into aliens, but I think that's unnecessary distinction to make. Um, but that's the way that it was classed back then. So I wanted to say, you know, after our last episode, we talked briefly about whether there would have been a negative reception of Jack's sexuality because it is, you know, a BBC show, kids show, blah, blah, blah. And I, I Googled it. I tried to find some ne- negative articles and I couldn't find any. The only mention of it was in like a Radio Times article from 2005, which was actually promoting a show that John Barrowman was in, like a West End show. And they were just like, oh, yeah, he plays this character on Doctor Who is the first gay companion. And I just think that's interesting. And I think maybe the reason there's so little fanfare about it recorded on the Internet and like news media is because social media wasn't a thing. Like Twitter wasn't a thing. Social media as we know it now didn't exist. So I'm sure there was discourse on the fan boards and the message boards about this inclusion of this character. But it didn't transcend to that kind of vitriolic mass mainstream media level that I think you would see now if something like this, if like Twitter had existed and people were out there having opinions or, you know, it's PC culture gone mad, shoehorning this character into a kid's show, which is kind of what we saw with Jodie Whittaker becoming the first female Doctor. Yeah, I think the the reception, even though in modern times we're more flexible, I think people have more opinions that reach a higher level, which you didn't see. Yeah, I completely agree. And, and that forum of just any random person with a shitty opinion 
being able to easily like chuck out a tweet that offends a whole fandom and then the fandom like amplifies it by getting angry about it like that kind of thing was just a lot harder to do yeah and it, then it becomes the story right and you just didn't see it back yeah, then absolutely and, and you make a good point about what has survived as well mm. um because maybe there were like you know sometimes in like used to happen a lot more in newsprint but like opinion columns on like tv shows and stuff mm-hmm. and like maybe someone had some hot takes but yeah it's not on the internet yeah it didn't, know. you're right yeah, yeah it didn't make the the transference into the internet like it might have not it would have warranted a, an article in the paper but it wouldn't have warranted being uploaded to the the website only the main headline would have been uploaded to the website because yeah. yeah it was a different world 2005 ah interesting cool thank you for checking up on that no all good yeah so Jack obviously being described as the first openly gay companion. Um, he's very chill about his orientation. And I think it's interesting that when you read about Jack and you read about it in the fandom and the fandom discourse, the idea that he is very like, he doesn't really, it's not a big deal. They don't mm. make a big deal about it. He is just how it is. It's not really addressed. Like he just kind of, other than that throwaway line in the last episode where the doctor says, you know, oh, he's a 51st century man. It's never really mentioned again. So it's kind of this idea that oh you shouldn't have to you shouldn't have to make a big deal about your sexuality you shouldn't have to come out you shouldn't have to yep. you know why is heterosexuality the assumed norm but in a way when you're talking about representation and you're talking about positive reinforcement you kind of do need it to be a big deal by by not calling it out by trying to make it a non-issue you're sort of burying it in a way oh uh, I see both sides of that I think that representation matters because people aren't fairly and evenly treated, right? Mm-hmm. So when it gets to the point where every and any sexuality is treated the same as heterosexuality, then maybe then we can stop being mm-hmm. like, you don't need to like front foot this. Mm-hmm. But when there's hardly any bi or pan or omni sexual characters in mainstream media, like you kind of got to call it out to be like, hey, we see you. We are representing you. I think it's particularly important with bi and pan sexuality because there is that erasure of bi and pan identities so for example if you're not highlighting the fact that someone is bi and then you know let's say jack is in a a relationship with a woman then people will negate that queerness element because it's like oh well he's with a woman now therefore that's fine or if he is in a relationship with a man then it's like well he was always gay yeah so because there is that erasure of bi bi identity yeah totally yeah. And it's interesting because I looked at the study that sort of talked about the social perceptions of bisexuality and this idea that any kind of like interest in if you have any kind of homosexual experience, then you're automatically gay. Like even if you're just to use the word bi curious, you know, you kiss a girl in uni or whatever and it's like, oh well. But also on the flip side, if you are bi but you're in a straight relationship, then you're not considered queer enough right so there's yeah. this very like the the bi identity the pan identity is very complicated it is and it's really interesting um read an interesting memoir about it generally recently not specifically related to the pod but just was read anyway called um greedy mm. um by jen winston and it's the book's called greedy and the subtitle is notes from a bisexual who wants too much and basically, it's a memoir of her life and you know, realizing she's she's bi and, and existing as a bi woman in America, but also leaning into that idea of, you know, that cultural thing of like, yeah, it's OK. Like, I want to potentially be in a relationship with everyone. I'm attracted to everyone. And yeah, that's not too that's not asking too much. Mm. Like, I'm not 
you know, uh, a kind of gay tourist, you know, when people are like, oh, by you know, by women are just like kind of straight, but just interested in like mm. just for the kudos or social signaling or whatever. Yeah, yeah, and men are just not brave enough to come out of the closet. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, it was cool. It's a really good book, and yeah, I think it matters to have that kind of coverage of people that typically would be mm. not definitely not weren't historically foregrounded in the gay and lesbian movement at all. Mm. Um, and you make that point around identity and terminology as well. So like he calls himself or like within the realm of who Captain Jack is omnisexual and we would probably equate that to being pan and but bi was definitely like the more original term mm. um, but then kind of we've moved away from that with like the idea of you know it literally is talking about a binary yeah I do find that interesting I don't really want to get bogged down into semantics but the idea mm. that yeah I don't know like because I identify as bi yep. And I identify as bi quite recently, like I'm a, a baby queer, if you will. I've only recently really admitted in the last couple of years my own identity to myself. And I'm on a journey with that, as we all are. But I identify as bi because that is the word that feels right to me. I don't, I can't explain to you why, but if just like when, like pan doesn't fit me the way that bi does. But it's not because I, I don't believe in a binary. Like it's not that I think that there is a binary sex or anything like that. It's just the one that feels right. Like to me, it means everyone. To me, it means the same as pan. So I just, it's just yeah. the word. I like the word more, I guess. And that, you know, whatever fits. I, very similar, also identify as by for want of a better word but i have toyed with like well actually pan does describe my feelings better mm. the idea of anyone and everyone across all gender identities mm. um but if i say i'm pan i feel like i'm a fucking intergalactic warrior <laughs> i'll be like i am pansexual so that word doesn't fit to me but then i feel like oh bye like i don't want it when people are like oh but what about non-binary i just can't be fucked so what feels most comfortable to me is just queer. Mm, so I yeah, just I like queer as well, as which queer. is interesting. And, yeah. Because there's a whole discourse, especially with younger people. I see this on Tumblr a lot. Lol, <laughs> yes, I'm still on Tumblr. I'm extremely <laughs> online. I'm everywhere anyway. Um, where there's this discourse around you shouldn't use queer because it's a slur. And it's like, well, if queer people are identifying as queer, then... <laughs> I don't understand. Like, don't police the terms that people are using to describe themselves. Like, if someone is using it in a slurry way, you can tell. Like, when someone uses a slur, you can tell. If a queer person is using queer to explain themselves, then that is not a slur. Mm, Yeah, I know. This interesting, this article I was reading on social perceptions of bisexuality, I'll put the link in the show notes. It is a journal article. It was talking about the fact that, yeah, it was mostly focused on bi erasure around the idea of what they call the one drop rule, which means like if you have ever had a homosexual experience, one must be entirely homosexual. There's like no shades of grey, which I think was very a common way to view it. Um, but it also talks about the perception that male sexuality is more rigid than female sexuality. So there's more, uh, like, there's more acceptance of women being fluid and being more, like, willing to change and that it's a malleable thing over their lives, whereas there's the expectation that men's sexuality is more locked in and more rigid, which I think is interesting in context to Jack because he is obviously male-identifying. So the fact that he is omnisexual being presented on television is quite revolutionary than if it was more revolutionary than if it was a female companion doing that. Yeah, I agree. I think that it's bullshit double standard, but women mm. being queer and gay is far more palatable to yeah. the male gaze, and that's probably because of bullshit sexual fetishy reasons. Truth, truth, yeah. Um, so yeah, it's cool. I like it. I like that they went there, and yeah, two thousand and five, like fuck. But so on that topic, 
Another article was the study of how bisexual people perceive other people's attitudes towards bisexuality. Yeah, so it's how bi people feel about other people's perceptions of them. Yeah, cool. And they talked about five issues that emerged from the survey they did, and it was people think there's confusion and erasure, hypersexuality and promiscuity, infidelity and relationship difficulties, fear, immorality and abnormality, and positivity. And I wanted to talk about this hypersexuality and promiscuity angle because this is something you see a lot with bi people, like this idea that they're greedy, they can't be trusted in relationships, they're more likely to cheat on you, they'll never be satisfied, they're not long-term relationship people. They're like whoring around, basically. But Jack is very hypersexual. He is incredibly flirty. He flirts with everyone. There's innuendo in everything he does. You know, is he captain of the innuendo squad? So as as a representation of a, you know, omnisexual queer by pan identity being that overtly sexual is that more harmful discuss yeah, no interesting so i think you're right like that's definitely i mean obviously those people like they're speaking directly to the experience like that captures exactly how you know they are profiled and i would agree the same like i hate the fucking bullshit narratives that come around them and it's like oh my girlfriend's bi and so like we're you know like the jokes about like oh you're gonna have a threesome with a yeah, girl yeah 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 and like any bi woman who's on a dating app will tell you that you're most like often approached by people looking for a third yeah unicorn hunting yeah it's a great point i think maybe is it them also kind of going with the safe to be like we're gonna present this guy who is bi um but let's like make him look kind of familiar to the stereotype mm. um but then again is that really safe like they've made him overtly sexy like but maybe if you're sexier with everyone then it's less of a big deal i don't know or are they going with the safe option of like he's very obvious so yeah. you get no accusations of being like stealth yeah that's interesting and there was a quote where was it john barrowman tried to talk about because he was very popular, very popular character. Fandom really embraced him. And then, of course, they did Torchwood as a spin-off based off the, the popularity of this character. And there's this line where he talks about the popularity of this portrayal. And he says, I think audiences just get Jack because he's honest. To finally see a character who doesn't care who he flirts with, I think it's a bit refreshing. Because he is shameless about it, right? Yep. And that shamelessness allows the audience to feel included. It, it makes it okay because he is so chill about it. Yeah, chill and, and larger than life. Mm. Like, if you go big with your portrayal, you're going to capture the most people's experience, right? Mm. But if you're kind of low-key, then you'll just appeal to the low-key people. But if you've got someone being, like, overly, outly, like, you know, out and proud stereotypes... Yeah, and he's overtly against boxes as well. We don't really see it, but in Torchwood, there's there's this line in the first episode where he talks about, you know, are you people in your quaint little categories? This idea that you need to put labels on things, and why would you do that? It's just like, it makes it seem very outdated, this idea that you need to. Which I hope is somewhere we get to as a society. I would love that we get to a place where no one has to come out and no one has to put a label on how they are. And I do worry, especially Tumblr culture again, sorry kids, but this idea that you always have to define every element of your personality. You have to put a label on everything you are. Like every facet, it's not enough to be queer. You have to identify every little bit you are, like every section of it. And then you have to identify your mental state as well, like... And in a way, I get it, because being labelled gives you a framework to work in the world. And like, as someone who has made revelations about my own personality, knowing that you're not alone is incredibly powerful and knowing that there's a reason for the way that you are. But you also don't have to be 
out about it. Like, there's you don't always have to come out, and I feel like people think you always have to. Yeah, yeah, no, I get that too, and I, yeah, basically everything is okay. Mm. Like, there's no wrong approach, but equally that means there's no right approach necessarily. Yes, labeling things and, and finding a community can be really freeing to be like, yes, I am this particular thing, and this is why, and this is who my people are. But then also the opposite of that is the limiting thing. Hmm. And I think that's why I embraced queer as a term, because I felt like bi and pan just were a bit limiting. It didn't quite feel like me. And so going with a much broader queer, which could, you know, mean all parts of the queer identity is cool because I felt less boxed. boxed. Yeah. And I think that's great. I think there's power in representation, definitely. And we've spoken about that a lot, about Mm. how, how that really matters to see your experience reflected because you do feel lonely sometimes in those experiences when you're surrounded by people going through these kind of like heteronormative or very traditional experiences and you maybe don't want it and don't feel that way and then you think there's something wrong with you. So when you see that reflected in another way, it's it's incredibly liberating and freeing to know that, hey, I'm not broken, which was certainly my experience. Yeah, so I think it's it's lovely to see this in, and see it's so uncomplicated as well. Like it's just introduced in the last episodes and it just carries through and it's just not a thing and that is kind of lovely yeah I really like that I made a note around that that it's just kind of casualness that's embedded Mm. just he's flirty he's flirty with everyone yeah cool like and the doctor just chill about it as well which I love like he doesn't make a big deal about it he's just like yeah whatever he just embraces it because it could have gone the other way right it could have been imagine it happening (laughs) with some of our colleagues right yeah fuck and this was 17 years ago some stuff has not progressed with the the hope. And like you say, like I hope it gets to that point where no sexuality or identity is assumed. Yeah. Um, and everything is met with the same level of openness and casual kind of uh, acceptance. But I really hope it doesn't take to the 51st century. No, I would hope so as well. Like, Christ alive. I do feel we've come a long way, but yeah, certainly that's easy for me to say as well as a straight presenting white woman. I mean, it's different for other people. In the West, yeah. Yeah. 100%. Yeah, okay. Well, um, maybe we bring it back to some general episode. Yes, please. So, like you said before, I equally was like, oh, fuck no, the Slitheen. (laughs) Because the Slitheen double whammy was like a pet hate. Mm. But yeah, no, I agree. I think overall, I didn't love this app, but I definitely didn't hate it. Mm. I felt like, if anything, it was a bit of a non I agreed. It's like a bridging app. It's setting something up. Kind of. And also bit of an odd choice for like penultimate so so the last two eps are a double whammy so mm-hmm. it's effectively like one so this is like penultimate to the season and it felt just a little bit of a you know sometimes maybe they do they do a bit of a lull to then have a big like snappy ending yeah i think but, this eh. is russell t davis does this quite a lot from memory but there's always kind of like this one episode just before the climax where bits are started to put in that they need for the final episode uh, so yeah, it's kind okay. of like okay this is just a it's the breath before the plunge yeah okay yeah. it's like regroup consolidate different points put in those last little clues set yourself up yeah, yeah okay yeah. okay yeah so general thoughts and then i was like well at the beginning this is set six months after the shit that went down in london mm. so in six months surviving slovene real name blom has infiltrated local politics in cardiff <laughs> has managed to become mayor has set up plans for a complicated nuclear power plant in the centre of the city <laughs> with a nefarious alien sub-motive. And, like, we work in government, mate. Six months? It's it would like... take you, like, 
six years. Not just that, but she wants to demolish Cardiff Castle to build it there. And like, I feel like the National Trust will be involved here, and that does not seem like a six month endeavor. Not at all. And like, like, yeah, she doesn't like photos. Like, she stayed away from anyone realizing that she was like a significant member of Parliament six months ago in the main city in which there was an explosion, and she was the only surviving member. Okay, the suspension of disbelief, and there's like just. We're just gonna not engage. Yeah, she didn't even change her name or anything. You're right. She didn't. She could have got a different skin suit. She didn't even get a different human skin suit. Well, she's gone native, as she says. Oh my god! I really do like that they massively lent back from the whole farting. Mm. Because like, I love a bit of you know a bit of fart humor here and there. But, like, it did just get a bit samey in that whole double yeah. episode. And constantly zipping and unzipping and, yeah. There was far less. I think maybe budget was short. Mm. Um, there was far less of them doing the transforming into the... Well, we didn't see her form. transformed. We only see the we lights saw, when she unzips. Yeah, and then we just saw her when she was, like, like the alien arm. Mm. When she, you know, she just had one arm that's as her alien arm. Maybe. It's been Which a while. obviously her just wearing... A puppet arm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we don't get the full transformation. <laughs> no. So yeah, it is yeah, a, yeah. a light budget. Yep. Yeah. I do love that moment where she's like trying to teleport away and he just keeps bringing yeah, her back. Yeah, and she's like... Dur, 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 dur. It could have had like the Benny Hill yeah. tune. It's like quite slapstick in a way. Like sometimes they get quite slapstick with that comedy. There was some quite introspective moments mm. in this episode. Like specifically Blonde this Levine challenging the Doctor on this whole like... I mean, effectively, burn everything down and then fuck off approach that he has. And her saying, your funny little happy-go-lucky life leaves devastation in its wake. Yeah. And I wanted to talk to you about this because, like, yeah, truth. But also, like, I don't think he seems happy-go-lucky. No, but maybe from the outside it looks that way because he just turns and fucks shit up and then leaves. Yeah, because she also says, you know, um, I bet you're always the first to go, never mind the consequences. Which is correct. Mm. Like, he often is just... Just like, doesn't matter, humans don't matter, even well, though I base my entire personality around liking you. Yeah, um, and I guess we haven't really seen, like, yeah, we haven't been to any real alien planets, have we yet? That comes in the later season, so it is just, he's just fucking up human life, mostly. Yeah, and he doesn't stick around for the consequences, but I think that speaks to his trauma, right? Like, he is on the run, he's always been on the run, like, he ran away from the Time Lords when he stole the TARDIS in the first place, and now he's running from his past where he, he feels responsible for the death of his all his entire civilization. Yep. Yeah. I know. Yeah, it's always an interesting parallel, you know, she's the last of her family, he's the last of his kind, and she tries to play on his sympathy, but she, he's very good at being like, well, you're, wearing, you're talking out of a dead person's mouth right now, because you killed someone for that suit, and... When she's like, oh, you're sending me to my death and how does it feel? And he's like, well, you're a criminal. You have murdered people. I'm like, he's not wrong. Yeah. And then like this weird, I want a final meal thing. And yeah. it's obviously like a bit of a ploy. And then she tries to poison Dartfinger and poison lung breath him. And he's just ready for it. I like, love Ugh. that. Yeah. Great. Dinner and bondage works for me. I know. I literally have that down. Dinner and bondage. Okay. So maybe now is the time to talk about Rose and Mickey. Mickey. Mickey is so happy when he turns up as well. He's like really like happy to chat, and then he's like, "Who's this guy? Because <laughs> Jack's there, right?" Yeah. So very weird. So just a high level summary for anyone who's not watched that recently. Basically, I, the episode opens with what I like to refer to as the three musketeers of time travel: <laughs> <laughs> the Doctor, Captain Jack, and Rose. 
like casually exposition that they've had some other adventures that mm-hmm. we haven't seen and they're back in Cardiff they're recharging the TARDIS and then they're all like yeah high fives go team yeah we're just smashing this time travel having a blast and then weirdly Mickey turns up obviously because he's from London Rose is from London they're in Cardiff so he's like travelled down the M4 <laughs> And on the train? Has her... well, he's on the train. He got off the train. Yeah. Oh, yeah, true fuck. I don't remember that. <laughs> um, has her passport. Because mm. she's apparently called him and said, hey, I need my passport because, like, you never know, whatever. Loose cover for her just wanting to see him. Yeah. And then quite quickly, they're very flirty, have this plan to get a hotel. And then shit gets weird. So Mickey's like, because you've been gone, like, I've been going out with Trisha Delaney from the corner shop. And then Rose gets quite shitty. Yeah. And is like... She's a bit big. I hated that, yeah. And then Mickey's like, she lost weight. Like, Gross, what yuck. the fuck? Yeah. Like, so weird that they were Poor like, Trisha. this is cool. Yeah, but also that this was acceptable writing. I know. Like, that you're A, making random weight-based slurs about people, but like putting those words in the mouth of the only, like, the only female main character, slagging off another woman. Yeah. And also, there's just like Rose does not have a leg to stand on here. Oh, this yeah, yeah. idea that she gets mad because Mickey is seeing someone else. Like, honey, you have taken Adam on the TARDIS and been, you know, the doctor calls him your boyfriend. So there's obviously been flirty times there, yeah. and you've been flirting with Jack, and you've been flirting as far as the and eye can see. Left with no discussion yeah. of like, are we on a break? Are we going to do long distance? I, I don't know. And you never uh, seem to remember he exists when you're not with him. And, like, literally in the last episode, available very to Jack. So I don't think you get to be shitty because he's with Trisha. And I do feel like he brought up Trisha because he's trying to make her jealous. Like, I my notes are whole thing equals super toxic vibes. Yeah. <laughs> because it's not, it's six of one and a half a dozen of the, the other. Because, like, then Mickey challenges Rose and said that, you know, basically you treat me badly um you know but i know i still came running as soon as you called um yeah and then mickey's like are you ever gonna leave him for me and then it's like why are we just like making this all about you or you like maybe she needs to go on her own growth journey and like stop reducing this men as romantic interests like yeah yeah run back to him yeah because i do feel for mickey because he says you know you make me feel like nothing rose nothing and it's quite an emotive performance and i do agree that rose has not been kind to mickey she's not set him up well but i agree with you that it shouldn't be a choice between mickey and the doctor like you can still have that conversation and discuss your relationship and she can still travel with the doctor she doesn't not have to travel with him to be with you like that is weird yeah but the fact that rose just acts so jealously and like she's offended that he's seeing someone else when she has literally been seeing other people this entire time it's just really i hate hypocrisy i'm just i hate it yeah no i didn't like it at all uh just a weird subplot it's just them trying to sort out what to do with Mickey, right? Because yeah, like I true. said before, they just forget that he exists when he's not around. <laughs> and then people are like, um, doesn't she have a boyfriend? Oh, yeah. Him. Poor Mickey. Comic relief. I mean, he essentially is. Yeah. Yeah. He's that's the exactly comic relief. Yeah. He's only there to be the fish out of water making dumb things, saying the wrong thing, so that, you know, the doctor and Jack can be like, ha ha ha, this naive earth person. <laughs> Honestly, if the doctor calls him Ricky one more time. I know. It's not funny. <laughs> <laughs> I also like to point out that Margaret slash Blonde only decides not to kill the journalist when the journalist says that she's pregnant, which again is that narrative of the your only value as a woman is as an incubator for life, which is, you know, unpleasant. You're only worth saving if you have children. Otherwise, yeet. <laughs> yeah, no, I didn't like that. Oh, cool. Bladrug, bad wolf. Yeah, yeah, bad wolf. 
finally acknowledge it, but then obviously dismiss it because we can't have that plot line resolved yet. <laughs> so they're like, just I do, dropping a little seed. And then... I feel like the doctor dismissed that as a cover. Like, I don't think he genuinely believed it when he's like, oh, it's coincidence. I feel like he was just saying that to yeah. make Rose chill out, but he's still yeah. percolating on it, you know? I don't think he's someone who would believe in coincidences. I do think it's quite funny that, you know, she's climbing out the window, isn't she? Yes, she is. Yeah, like, that yeah. poor Welsh oh, secretary being don't. like... Okay, so that, I have a whole note on that. So the mayor's PA, I assume it's like a secretary slash PA. Mm-hmm. Like, she's climbing out the window. He's like, oh, yeah, she is. But then the PA full noise attacks the doctor on the balcony. Like, that's a bit above and beyond. I do not know I a single PA no. who's going to attack a random dude. Executive assistant at that level, probably. Yeah, um, exactly. Yeah, Which I'm... EA is going to be like, no, I will personally stop you with my body. Especially in politics. I just don't see no, it happening. They would be like trying to like... I've called security. Yeah. Or, yeah, at, at the minimum and at the maximum be like, well, maybe this is an opportunity for me to uh, take on some extra responsibility. <laughs> like, right? So, yeah, that was just weird. <laughs> Other great things. Oh, Jack making the four people in a police box gag. (laughs) It's like so derivative. (laughs) Yeah. He pulls it off though. Cheesy really suits him. That's the weird thing. Like he can say these things. I do love that line. You know, what are you captain of? The innuendo squad? So good. Oh, yeah, I did like that. That was actually, you ruined my standout moment. That was my standout moment. Yeah, don't worry. No, it's okay. I think that was my main kind of like weird things. Oh, a pan-dimensional surfboard. <laughs> like, if you were making... First of all, who does those architectural models? Maybe they do. I'm not in architecture. But <laughs> then who puts their secret alien nefarious aims in the model? Well, maybe it's like hiding in plain sight. Yeah. But... I do like that Jack just picked that up, though. It's nice to have the tech guy around, yeah, right? Like, is. he just becomes the, the alien tech man. Yeah, that was great. <laughs> And then, of course, that is the bit that actually opens the rift. So, whoopsie. Yeah. I will say it's weird to see Cardiff Pier without the Yanto Shrine. So I don't know if you know this, but... Spoilers for anyone who hasn't seen Tortured, but in the third season of Tortured, they kill off Yanto and the fandom collectively lost its mind. And so there is a shrine at Cardiff Pier where the um, entrance to Tortured 3 was supposed to be with um, photos and memorials and stuff all for Yanto and the... They actually put up a plaque there as well, commemorating the death of this character. And I'm I'm pretty sure it's still there. I think it's still a thing. Uh, This woman I knew was doing a thesis on it as a piece of fandom archaeology, this origin of the shrine. And she's like, I can't believe it's still there because she thought it would only be a couple of months. And then like a year later, it was still up. You're 100%. It's going to turn into the Eiffel Tower. You know, they built that in what, 1888? It was like, this is a one year thing. And then it remains. It's just so funny to me because, like, you know, Tortured, fine, but it's not, like, a mainstream thing. It's not, like, at the level of Doctor Who. No, it's this... a spin-off from Doctor Who. And it's it's one quite a character. small thing. So I have seen Torchwood, but I forgot who Yanto is, so I just had to Google it, and mm. I just remembered who he is. And yeah. I remember being sad because 17, 18-year-old Soph was like, Yanto. Fictional Welsh boyfriend. He's everyone's yeah. fictional Welsh boyfriend. I have, yeah, I was devastated when they killed him off. Oh, well, cool. No, I did not know about the shrine. Wowzers. So they, like, knew who that is based, production is based in Cardiff, right? Correct. Yeah. yeah. So again, I would say that low CGI budget, low general budget, when they're like, we need to, we've got not much left in the old 
coffers. So let's uh, base this one in coffers. Yeah, when they pick stories for this, they must choose stories like, this one's going to be our big CGI blowout. This one's going to be the one where we can save a lot of money. This one we don't need any CGI for. So, like, we need two stories that have no CGI, and then we need, you know, a bottle episode that takes place in one room, and then... Yeah, like, yeah, surely yeah, that's how you make these decisions. It's like with Game of Thrones, with like this one episode with the dragons, we're going to put all our special effects budget in, and then you're not going to have any light in that one episode because we can't afford it. Dude, Game of Thrones is so dark. <laughs> I read a whole, I got down a fucking rabbit hole when the last seasons, and everyone's like, why is it getting so fucking dark? And the point where it starts getting, like, the TVs get patchy black because mm. there's only so many shades of fucking black that your yeah. average TV can do. Yeah, we and don't have enough like... pixels. <laughs> Oh, I'm so glad. I, yeah. I did love this one tweet at the time. It was like, Game of Thrones fades to black at the end of the episode so you can see your own horror reflected in your laptop <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> literally. I had to, like, if I watched an episode during the day, I had to close the curtains yeah, to, like, to yep. get enough dark to be able to see, like, fucking Sansa skulking around. Turn off all the lights, sit there in the dark, be like, squinting. Yeah. Yeah, weird. It was a weird choice for them to colour grade a show for a professional setup when the average TV viewer does not have a professional setup. And for Game of Thrones, let's be real, most of us were bootlegging it. So watching it grossly on my laptop did not lend itself to colour grading. Okay, cool. Well, do you want to share your standout moment? Yeah, so my standout moment was Mickey saying, what are you the captain of? (laughs) Innuendo squad? Because A, I thought it was funny that they're calling him out on this. Mm. Like, he's just this kind of innuendo-y background and everyone's like, ha ha ha, but like not engaging with it. So it was funny that Mickey engaged with it. But also I like it when Mickey shows personality. Yeah. <laughs> like, he's not just, like you say, like the kind of odd, awkward straight man to everyone else's like plot development. Mm. But I like it when he like shows some pizzazz. I do feel for him as well because it's so hard to come in as an outsider and especially for camaraderie like that. So the three of them are really tight. They're like high-fiving, they're carrying on, they're finishing each other's sentences and he's just coming in being like, what the fuck? Hey guys, so... Please include me in your stories. Yeah, and it's like you've had like amazing maybe months, years worth, who knows, of adventuring but they've just like come back in time to see him just six months later after he's like been probably just chilling in his flat in London. Yeah. I mean, sure he has a very rich and full life but probably not like equivalent the equivalent not like no, even if he had lots his life apples yeah exactly. yeah <laughs> so that was my main one i think just nice to be back in wales again the old the old welsh accent is always fun mm. yeah but yeah like i said like stand out it was fine but oh it doesn't really wouldn't like leave a lasting impact i'm not gonna be like oh i really love that app so yeah, I mean, I forgot it existed until I saw the l- next time on Doctor I'm like, oh, there's another Slovene episode. Yeah, and it was, I totally I forgot that it. they came back again. Uh, your standouts. So mine is just the comedy of the Doctor and Blonde slash Margaret's dinner date. Because it's, so, it's such a great little repartee between the two of them. You know, she's putting out things, he's picking it up. The whole poison dart, then poison breath, and he's just ready with his... mouth spray whatever um it's just funny and i think two great actors really having good good acting chops going on in that like very believable you believe her emotive reasoning as well even though it is a ruse to get the doctor out of the tardis so she can open the rift you do believe that she's actually she does want another chance she does want a second chance and obviously the tardis also believes her because she turns her into an egg so that she could have a second life she's an egg so yeah Look into the heart of the TARDIS. I know, it got very like, yeah, like a little bit existential on the TARDIS thing. Oh, it's such a juicy ex machina, right? Being like, we don't know how to solve this. So the TARDIS will just turn her into yeah. an egg. Yeah. 
Also, like, the TARDIS is wonderfully, again, I've said this before, but, like, the low-tech aspect. It's not some, like, amazing, like, we're going into, like, the walkable of the TARDIS and the heart, like, opens. It's just a floor panel. Mm. Some plumbing Yeah, it's very kind of, like, industrial in the way that it's just functional. Like, it's a functional thing. It's not set up as a magical... And functional is aspirational. Yeah. Sometimes. True, like most the TARDIS of... will like pop you out whenever it wants. Cobbled together, really. Um... Oh, I have an interesting question. Mm-hmm. Sidebar. Um, in the in the last few few minutes, probably of our time. Um, do you think the TARDIS has a gender? Yeah, so I think of her as a she, but this is only because of later episodes. Ah, so I'd forgotten about any level of gendering. I feel like I talk about it as an it, mm. and being in my mind kind of fluid, but. I think it it does have far more of a substance than just being a machine. Yeah, it thinks it has a conscience. Mm. It's like so. I've always thought of it as a she, but there is an episode later that has informed that. So, yeah. ah. But then I also call my car a she. So, I think of all vehicles as she's. Oh, that's interesting. So my car is a guy. I think of my car as a man. My first car was Jack, named after Jack Harkness, because Cute. it kept dying and coming back to life. Oh my god, amazing! But then ships are always female. Yeah. Um, cool. Okay, well, next week we're discussing episode 12 and 13, Bad Wolf and the Parting of the Ways. Let us know your thoughts by emailing own at gmail.com or find us on Twitter and Instagram. And you can check out the show notes for the links and any references we've discussed in this ep, which is not many, but they'll be there. Absolutely, and that is that will be the double whammy in the end of season one. Yeah, the end of the ninth Doctor. Oh, fuck yeah. Yeah. And it's just one and done. Mm. Ooh. He doesn't regenerate at the end of the season. He does. does. Yeah. Oh, I thought he regenerated at the beginning of the next one. So they knew when he was filming it, he was like, I'm only doing one. Maybe, or maybe he just got halfway through and went, no, it's not for me. I can't remember what the context was of his departure. Oh, so we see David Tennant in the next Correct. one. Correct. Oh, oh, exciting. Yeah. Oh, he's done so much since then as well, David Tennant. Anyway. No, he looks so young. You'll see. You'll see. Okay, cool. Well, um, have a great week, everybody. Yeah, we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.